All right, big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big news coming out of the Pac-12 right now. We're going to join a press, uh, online press event with Larry Scott, Ray Anderson of Arizona State, the AD, David Shawhead, uh, football coach at Stanford, and Dr. Doug Ackerman from uh, Oregon State Associate Athletic Director. We're going to join that now. Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, thank you for joining us for the Pac-12 media webinar to review today's announcement of the 2020 Pac-12 football schedule and plans for the uh, fall sports. Uh, today, our panelists for the webinar is Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, Ray Anderson, Arizona State Vice President for University Athletics, uh, David Shaw, Stanford's Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football, and Doug, Dr. Doug Ackerman from Oregon State, the Senior As Associate Athletic Director, Sports Medicine. Uh, today's format will have Pac-12 Network's Yogi Roth and Ashley Adamson host the discussion. After 15 minutes, we'll go to questions and answers from the media. At this time, I'd like to go ahead and turn it over to Ashley and Yogi. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much. And I, I think we actually really need to start by saying happy birthday to David Shaw, because I think this is what we're all gathered for today. So happy birthday, coach. No, you're younger. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, and I'd like to get, you know, and, and start with a, an opening comment from, from you, Commissioner Scott, and, and given really that all four of you sit in very different chairs and have had different roles in allowing this thing to come together, I'd like to get each of your thoughts on the schedule from where you sit. But we'll start with you, Larry, and, and maybe you can just begin by providing, you know, the highlights of the schedule and what this model uh, hopes to accomplish. Certainly. Thank you, Ashley. Good to see everyone. And I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Coach Shaw, uh, Ray Anderson, and Dr. Ackerman. Uh, representing the different stakeholders that have been very involved in what's been a tremendously uh, collaborative process uh, with key stakeholders and experts in our conference uh, to develop our football schedule. Many other people behind the scenes are athletics directors, uh, different committees we have on Olympic sports, uh, football, uh, and at the conference office that have worked on uh, these schedules. So today our CEO group uh, approved uh, our plans for 20-hour um, CARA rule that will kick in uh, for football starting on Monday the 3rd, uh, as well as training camp that will start as early as August 17th in football and August 15th for our Olympic sports, as well as a football schedule. Let me say that at the outset that as it relates to the move to 20 hours of CARA, uh, training camp for football, practice starting for Olympic sports. Uh, this remains a very dynamic process. Um, the health and safety of our student athletes continues to be of paramount importance. And we continue to be, and our schools continue to be in close consultation with public health authorities, other governmental authorities uh, that will ultimately uh, determine and have to approve our ability to move forward. And this work is ongoing. Uh, we're very fortunate. We've got a world-class medical advisory committee, very engaged uh, with us, as well as with discussions with other national leaders. And we will continue to evaluate and be nimble in terms of how we adjust. But we have a plan and we've got a football schedule, which was approved today um, following a July uh, 10 decision by our CEO group to uh, go to a 10 game conference only schedule. So today's schedule that we announced today uh, will start on September 26th with a lot of built in flexibility. Uh, both in terms of a bye week that each of our teams will have and an open week uh, in December. So that if the situation warrants, 
uh, based on health and safety and based on how the virus proceeds, uh, whether it's the first games of the year uh, that are scheduled for the 26th or other games, uh, we have the ability to reschedule them and do our best with this delayed start to accommodate for everything going on in our communities uh, and with these two uh, backup dates, the bye week and the week in December to try to get through a 10 game conference schedule and to have our championship game on December 18th or 19th. On our championship game for football, uh, we've been in close consultation with our partners at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. We've determined that in order to have the maximum flexibility, nimbleness, and in light of uh, the concerns expected for fan attendance, we're going to play a home-hosted model for our football championship game this year. We've done it before. As many of you know, three years, we had a home-hosted game. We know what to do. That gives us the maximum uh, flexibility. Um, and... Uh, we've agreed with our partners in Las Vegas that we're going to just delay the start of our two-year agreement. We're looking forward to kicking off with a bang uh, next year uh, in Las Vegas. Um, let me also just make a few comments about our men's and women's soccer, women's volleyball, uh, men's and women's cross country. We, we approved the scheduling plans. They will also start the weekend of September 26th. The exact details of those schedules need to be tweaked following our conversation today, but we think we're days away uh, from those schedules. But we think we're going to be able to have very robust conference schedules uh, in those sports uh, and look forward to uh, exciting postseason opportunities for those sports as well. So uh, thanks for that. Those are the, that's the essence of what we announced today. A lot of important inputs went into it, which my colleagues will speak to. Yeah, and on that note, Larry, I know Coach Shaw, I know you were critical in playing a role in how the schedule came together, and you guys worked really hard on this. And you've also said the hardest thing the last four months has not been knowing. So there's still a lot that needs to happen between now and that first kickoff for, for it to come together. But how are you feeling your overall thoughts right now on, on what the schedule looks like and for you guys in particular? Yeah, the hardest thing about being a football coach right now is not having answers for your, your, your student athletes and their parents. And um, putting a schedule together now, we can start having some more of those answers for when we start training camp, what our next few weeks are going to be like. Um, I, I have to say uh, a lot of the credit goes to Woody Dixon and that Pac-12 working group, uh, working through a lot of these issues, putting these things together, ready, preparing for every eventuality, um, which we've had to <laughs> deal with a lot of those eventualities. It says things have been pushed back and sometimes accelerated, um, but uh, I give a lot of credit to that working group uh, to the Pac-12 head coaches uh, that we continue to incorporate and get their opinions um, so that we're all on the same page, uh, same page. Uh, student athletes as well uh, jumped into some of those calls to give us their perspective, um, which I know we really appreciate it in order to find the best way to try to find a way to make this thing happen. And uh, uh, Larry Scott mentioned um, our, our doctors, Dr. Ackerman and, and, and our, our medical professionals have been outstanding you know, giving us their guidance um, and, and, uh, pushing us in certain directions and making us aware of different things so that we can have the most comprehensive approach to beginning to start looking at having a football season. And Ray, for you as an athletic director, what has it been like talking to campus, talking to your coaches, and of course your fellow ADs and putting all the pieces of this puzzle together? Well, you know, it's been exhaustive to be quite honest uh, in large part because the fluid nature of this COVID-19 uh, situation uh, has put us all in a position where, for the most part, day in and day out, uh, we didn't have control. 
Uh, and most of us have that, those kind of personalities and have careers where by we have had a lot of control. Uh, well, this situation took that away from us. So uh, it's been exhaustive. It's sometimes uh, extremely frustrating. Uh, but we've been really served well in the Pac-12, as Commissioner and David alluded to, uh, with Dr. Ackerman and our medical folks, uh, with our FARs, our faculty athletic reps weighing in, with our student athletes weighing in, uh, with our senior winners, women's administrators weighing in, uh, with the conference office, uh, the national, uh, local, and, and, and campus uh, ops people, uh, and others who have weighed in. It's really been a collaborative uh, but exhaustive process. Uh, and so knowing the fluidity would require us to be flexible day in and day out uh, and the acknowledgement that we could only do it through great collaboration. That has been the thing that has been most impressive to me in seeing how the PAC 12 has handled this thing. Uh, Cause you have different things happening in different places. You have obviously different interests, different agendas at some point. Uh, but under this circumstance, uh, this conference really came together uh, in, I think, an impressive fashion. And we got to a place uh, where, despite all the craziness of the COVID-19, it's a good place for us, driven by the flexibility. Uh, and to David's point, uh, Woody Dixon, who took on uh, the chairmanship of our COVID-19 football working group, uh, has done a fabulous job. Uh, working with the doctors, working with the coaches, David Shaw and others with our personnel folks across the board. It's been quite impressive because of the collaboration, Yogi and Ashley. And we got to a schedule today that, you know what, gives us a lot of comfort that we will be able to be nimble and adaptive as this situation goes on. So uh, all of our athletic director colleagues, uh, uh, Mark Harlan with, with the Football Oversight Committee, uh, tremendous. Uh, Jen Cohen really making sure that the Olympic sports and working with our senior women's administrators uh, was, was, was involved uh, and across the board. So uh, I'm proud to be a, a member of the Pac-12 AD team that uh, we think has come up with uh, a collaborative uh, solution that will serve our conference well and most importantly, uh, the student athletes that we serve. Well said. Okay, speaking of collaboration, Dr. Ackerman, can you give us a sense of the Pac-12 medical group that has collaborated to put together the guidelines and the advising towards the student-athletes in these campuses as we begin fall sports? Yeah, we've been incredibly thankful to have, um, have opportunities to have not only that, the team physicians, the athletic trainers of our Pac-12 institutions all come together and be willing to give their time. But, but we've had some, some really key input from infectious disease specialists and experts within our Pac-12 footprint and in our institutions to, to give up their time and to volunteer their time. We, we meet at least for two and a half to three hours a week on multiple days. And we have been doing this for the last two and a half months. And, um, and, and to have that expertise and, and the ability to really uh, know not only what is going on in the sports world, but what's going on in the infectious disease world, the CDC world, and, and to be able to integrate that into our guidance and recommendations back to the head coaches, the athletic directors, the presidents and CEOs has, has been really, really a, a great thing to watch. 
And Dr. Ackerman, just to follow on that, obviously everybody knows there's no way to completely eliminate the, the risk of the virus right now, but can you just sort of walk us through some of the basic protocols that, that you guys have implemented or that will be implemented to help at least mitigate that risk? Sure. I mean, I can say without question that all of us have a really healthy um, respect for this virus. Right. This virus is one that is is uh, has been difficult for the medical community to to manage and, and handle. And we, um, you know, and, and we all continue to watch the curves and we all the thing that's been frustrating is we all are continually reliant on the general community to wear masks and make good choices because that impacts the, the community. Um, prevalence of the disease. We can set up great parameters and we have set up great parameters and pathways for us to follow within the athletic confines or the athletic campuses on our institutions, um, including making sure that we're testing appropriately and, and using the best test that's out there um, and hopefully augmenting it with more point of care testing as that becomes more available um, so that we're making sure that we are using the resources that are, are, are that are available on our campuses and not necessarily taking it from the, the, the medical community or the general communities that we are, are living in. Um, you know, the, the plan and processes that we've laid out are multiple pages. They involve, you know, how do you clean the locker rooms? How do you uh, manage the, the personnel flow in and out of the buildings? Um, face coverings, when to wear them, um, you know, th those are all procedures and policies that we put in place to help guide our institutions to make it as safe as we can. Coach Shaw, you sit on the competition committee as well as being the head coach at Stanford. What has it been like when you look from state to state in this footprint and it's different regarding the equity and what is allowed and what isn't allowed and curious what the dialogue was as you put together the schedule? Well, you know, I think difficult situations bring out the worst in people and sometimes the best in people. And a lot of what I've seen has been the best of people. And um, on that group, this has been how can we return to sport um, in a way that makes it the best for the student athletes to participate safely. And that's been from the very beginning, how can we do this? Um, listening to experts, um, listening to people in different places and trying to find a way for things to be as equitable as possible, but also as understanding as possible that some places are going to be different than other places. Um, so coming from different places and different, um, different uh, situations on different campuses and different areas has been difficult to a certain degree, but the mentality has been the same. Um, how can we do what's best for, for our student athletes? And um, from a lot of voices out there, still nobody cares about these young people more than we do. Um, we're with them. We talk to them and their families all the time. And um, to, to hear the same message from around the country um, has been exciting um, for me and uh, trying to find a way to do this. And it's, there's so many people have collaborated. We've just mentioned some of them, but across the nation, so many people have really put uh, chipped in their expertise uh, and their, their intentions, their positive intentions to help this thing happen. Um, it's been it's been great to be a part of. You know, and I know we're going to open it up to media questions here in just a minute. But Larry, I'd I'd like to ask you from from your perspective. You know, you look at the ACC; they announced an 11 game schedule that starts September 12th. SEC announces a 10 game conference only schedule that starts September 26th. There was a lot of discussion about unity of the leagues back in March. How would you describe, I guess, the you know the dynamic between the leagues right now, and maybe even the relationship between the commissioners? 
The collaboration has been excellent. It really has. I mean, if you think back to March when we had to make the very unfortunate decisions to cancel our men's basketball tournaments when they were going on and then cancel spring sports. Um, we all got to a similar place within about a 24 hour period. And that's because we're speaking every day. Um, we're independent uh, conferences. We make independent decisions, obviously hugely competitive with one another, but the level of collaboration is excellent. And I think that manifests itself through all kinds of decisions that we made, uh, how to deal with student athletes that you know missed their spring season, how to get kind of return to um, voluntary workouts. And we're all making our own decisions, but I think you're seeing um, kind of everyone uh, arriving at a similar place, uh, each with its own nuance. Um, there's still some conferences that have to uh, fill in their details, but most of us are going to wind up with conference-only schedules, maybe the addition of a non-conference here or there. Um, you know, most of us are looking at delayed starts, maybe not all, I don't want to get in front of any that haven't decided yet. And most of us are going to be ending around December 19th. Now we all got there independently, but with the sharing of best practice, uh, the best medical advice from different parts of the country, feedback from our student athletes, coaches, and all that. So there, there are little differences between us, but by and large, we, we are all managing to preserve the possibility of playing a robust conference season. We got a selection committee for the college football playoff that can deal with more, you know, the subjectivity, which we'll have more of under a conference only schedule than we would with a lot of data points and non-conference, but we've preserved the possibility of bowl games, preserve the possibility of a college football playoff because we all have stayed uh, in sync on that. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll all make our own decisions and there'll be some slight differences, but by and large, I think we're moving together in step. Dr. Ackerman, uh, one more for you. I think a lot of people are wondering what would cause a team to say, you know, we can't, we can't play this weekend. Would it be, 20 players? Would it be the entire O-line? Would it be two? You know, we're seeing a lot in baseball. And I'm sure it's flexible as we've all talked about in fluid, but where are we today regarding that? That's a great question. You know, uh, that is a topic that we as a medical advisory group are trying to come up with some very specific criteria um, and, and benchmarks so that when we get to the point where we're ready to start the season and that occurs that we already have, have a decision tree made to try and help guide those, those decisions. You know, it's going to be different. It's, it's really challenging because you can't just say, well, it's a certain number of players, right? Because if you get a couple infections and they're coming from different sources and they're occurring within a day or two before the game, maybe you don't really have control of the transmission of that virus in that, in that instance. And, and you need to take a pause. Is it, a couple cases early in the week and they're both related and they're both traceable and you can contact trace back to where they were. That's a much safer environment situation. And, and you know, you have control over the transmission of the virus. And so it's hard to come up with just an easy, quick um, number. If it was everybody in every conference would have already had that, um, you know, even on among us physicians in the A5, we've, had shared conversations and, and, you know, we have collegial relationships where we have calls outside of, of structured calls and are debating and kicking around this very topic. And it's, it's, it'll be a complex decision for sure. 
You could say that just about every single decision being made right now. Uh, thank you so much to the four of you. Yogi and I could ask you four questions all day long, but I know there's plenty of media members on here that want to jump on. So we're going to turn it back over to Dave Hirsch, who will uh, facilitate those. But thank you, guys. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Yogi. Um, again, at this time, uh, media will have the opportunity to ask questions. In doing so, we ask that you click on the raised hand logo in your screen uh, to get you into the queue, and we'll and then call on you. Again, this has been recorded, so we will distribute the, the recording uh, after the webinar has uh, finished. So we'll turn it to questions. First up, we'll go to James Crepia. James, your line's open. Thank you. Uh, Larry, first, condolences to you and your family, and glad to hear that you've recovered uh, from COVID yourself. You're in a different predicament compared to your peers and that you also run the conference network. What is the contractually obligated minimum number of live game broadcasts and hours of live programming for the network and its telecom providers? And how much is that playing into the 10 game model for football and the model for other fall sports, which I'm assuming you hope the NCAA board of governors doesn't postpone other fall championships. Yeah, well, we've got, you know, on average about 78 football games uh, a year that uh, we uh, control the rights to uh, because they're uh, at home or neutral site games we control the rights to. Uh, 44 of those go to ESPN and Fox. The balance go to the Pac-12 network. So when our board made the decision on July 10th that we were going to a conference-only 10-game schedule, uh, everyone understood that was going to reduce the number of games in our TV contract. And that was a decision not made lightly, made with the interest of health and safety first and foremost, but with significant financial implications. Financial implications because we're going to have less games than we normally have and uh, could result in penalties. Um, and certainly for our campuses um, that are already looking at reduced capacity and likelihood in terms of attendance now with reduced inventory. And, and uh, we've obviously lost some marquee non-conference games. So the financial uh, ramifications are significant, but they're secondary uh, to health and safety uh, and trying to provide opportunity for student athletes, both in football and Olympic sports, in what we feel is the safest and most prudent way, way possible. Uh, the details will still have to be worked out, um, but we've been in very, very close consultation, James, with ESPN and Fox and Pac-12 Networks partners through the process and, and it's fluid and we've got great partnerships and we'll work our way through it. If I can follow for Larry and for Ray, as I'm sure it's a question a lot one answered. Uh, with the September 26th start date, do you guys feel this will help avoid breach of contract lawsuits under force majeure clauses since almost all of the conferences standing non-conference games were week zero through three? And will you ask for your state governor's assistance in terms of executive orders to cover those dates for amateur sports? Man, I'm going to pass the ball to Ray because he actually has a law degree and, and I don't. Well, I'm going to pass to uh, uh, the conference and our own institutional GCs uh, in the long term. Uh, we haven't gotten to the point where uh, we're looking at those things uh, uh, with a lot of detail. Our, our Really, our emphasis has been on uh, what in terms of scheduling for our student athletes, health and safety is driven by uh, the uh, COVID situation. Uh, that's what we've been uh, really focused on. Uh, however, there's no question that uh, you've seen some of the 
little blurbs about schools wanting to uh, make sure they try to collect uh, on their so-called guarantees that uh, was force majeure uh, real or not real in each particular situation. So uh, I don't mean to avoid the question other than to tell you we're going to have to uh, have some GC involvement uh, and they're going to have to, on a school by school basis, figure it out. Uh, we've had no discussion at the AD level uh, of whether or not we're looking to our conference uh, or any place else to deal with those situations, not up to this point. Okay, our next question will come from Heather Denich. Heather, your line is open. Hi, this question is for Coach Shaw. Can you hear me, David? Yes, Heather. Hi, I wanted to ask you, well, first of all, if you saw the news about Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley opting out, and I, I wanted to see, are we going to see more of this? Is this going to be a small number? What are your thoughts in terms of what we might see as far as that being a trend from student athletes who are really concerned about playing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a, a lot of people around the country are, are asking that question themselves, whether they're college athletes or professional athletes. And some people have different risk factors than other people have. So um, I'm not going to weigh in on someone's decisions on whether or not to go to the NFL or not. Um, there have been others that have talked about their family situations and taking care of their families and themselves. Um, and, and so I think that a lot of those are individual discussions. I think the approach, uh, and particularly in our conference, but pretty much nationwide, has been this is a hopefully once-in-a-lifetime situation um, that we're trying to find our way through, and those that are not comfortable, um, we completely understand if they, if they don't want to participate. Um, there's no punishment from, from any of us. We get it, um, and we'll try to provide them the support that they need uh, to get through this situation. Thank you. All right, there you go. We're gonna we're gonna break out of that question and answer period with uh, Pac-12 announces a 10-game college football schedule. Gordon, and just to go over Utah's schedule real quick, and then get your thoughts, and and we'll get into more of it on the other side. We've also got Gordon's list coming up, but uh, here's uh, how Utah's schedule looks. Week one on September 26th. I'll just go uh, week one, two, three. Week one, Utah takes on Washington State on the road. Uh, week two. Colorado on the road, week three, Oregon State on the road, home week four to UCLA, then a bye week, then road to, uh, actually, I've got these back, uh, Oregon State was at home, excuse me, Arizona at home, at Arizona State week seven, home to Washington week eight, uh, at Cal week nine, home to USC week 10, and home to Oregon week 11. But uh, what do you think about what we heard, and what do you think about that schedule? Uh, well, as far as the schedule goes for the Utes, uh, three of the first four games on the road, if I'm reading that right. Yeah. And uh, but but some of the easier uh, opponents, uh, if there are such things, uh, early on in the schedule. So it should be able to give some of those inexperienced or less experienced Utah players an opportunity to get acclimated with what the Utes are trying to do. I mean, when you finish. When you're three of your, well, actually four of your last five games at ASU and then playing against the Huskies uh, at Cal, uh, I don't know so much, but then SC and Oregon uh, at home, uh, those are tougher opponents. And so 
The that, should be, should that, be able to get themselves in form uh, by then. That is brutal, Gordon. Mm-hmm. That stretch you just mentioned at Arizona State, Washington, at Cal, USC, and Oregon. Because Cal's going to be good. I don't know if they'll win the North good, but their defense is going to be good. We know that. And they've got the quarterback return. And if that quarterback stays healthy, they were really good, if you remember, last year until he got hurt. In fact, I think they were undefeated, maybe. Maybe one loss. Before he got hurt last year, I'll have to remember. But that that game could be tougher than you would think. Arizona State could win the South. I mean, Washington, USC, and Oregon are are who they are. So that, boy, Gordon, those last four games, that's brutal. But I'm not sure that that's all bad news considering what the Utes are going to have to uh, get used to with uh, a lot of uh, younger players, a lot of players who uh, yeah, obviously they lost so many gifted players off of last year's team. So this will give them at least a fighting chance against some of the lesser opponents early on, if, of course, any of this actually gets played. Uh, By the way, week 11, so when they take on Oregon, that will be December 5th. And week 10, when they play USC, will be November 28th, meaning both those those games have the potential to be uh, quite cold. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Quite now. Cold. Is that game? Is that game against SC? Is that on the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth? Twenty eighth. Is it? Okay. Or at least well. uh, I'll have to go double check. That's when the week is. That's the Saturday, and I know Utah does have at least one Friday game. I'll have to. I'll have to go double check. But why are they playing Friday games? They always play Friday games, or they I, have I, played Friday I, games. I know, but I'm talking about given a, a an unusual situation. Why? Why tighten up the schedule? On weeks like that, it just seems like it would make more sense. If if your number one priority is the safety of the student-athletes, then I don't know why you would do that other than for increased dollars off of TV deals. And that well, sort of uh, connect the dots for me. How, how does playing on Saturday as opposed to Friday um, well, just impact your safety? Week. So, we're, okay, I shortens your week. How does that... Are you talking like safety is in recovery time, or are you talking safety is in exposure to the coronavirus? Both. I don't. I, I guess I don't understand the coronavirus part. How that would well, be safer? Well, that's on. why I have a medical degree and you don't. <laughs> you got you got your MD. How did I not know about that? I don't like to talk about. All right, uh, we'll get to more coming up next. We've got Gordon's List. We have another press conference at 3 o'clock. Mark Harlan, uh, the University of Utah Athletic Director, is going to have a press conference. We'll get to that at 3. Howard Beck is going to be at 4. Stay tuned. Big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Austin, I'm always down to hear the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles are your band of the day. It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Brought to you by Live Nation Concerts. Buy concert tickets and get the latest tour news and artist insight at LiveNation.com. All right, we're a little late getting into this, and we have a very busy day. We'll have a press conference from Mark Harlan coming up at 3, Howard Beck at 4. But let's dive into that list, Gordo. Hit it, Austin. And now, another look into the mind of Gordon Monson. I know, we're all terrified. Let's just try to get through this together. This is Gordon's List on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Previously on Gordon's List. 
scary driving through fog. When you butt dial someone, is it because the phone is turned toward the butt or is it away from the butt and the, it's really the seat that is uh, doing the dialing? We're all snowflakes. You know, I'm getting a little tired of creatures attacking humans, even though we live in their environment. I do like the joint. <laughs> last one, though. All right, time for Gordon's List, brought to you each and every week by Tim Daly Nissan Southtown. Gordon, what's uh, top that list this week? Well, let's go ahead and say it the way it is here. Let me say it by asking a question. Is there a more self-congratulatory conference in the country than the Pac-12? No, they like celebrating themselves some them, yeah. That, that I, I, is I'm the just thing. trying to figure out what that, I mean, I'd like to, you know, we've, uh, we've made our way through some very difficult times here, but I think we handled things brilliantly. We nailed it. 100% home run. Congratulations, us. <laughs> what well, What was the idea in that press conference just starting with a bunch of questions from the people who work for the network? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that made no sense at all. What was, That was a waste of time. Well, it, it turns uh, anyway. it into a bit of a dog and pony show because, really, yeah. I mean, they had four, I thought, pretty appropriate voices, you know, an, an AD, the commissioner, uh, an associate AD with medical background and a coach. I mean, that's that's kind of the areas you want to hear from. Let them make their statements and then open it up for questions. Why do we need well, the, press why, conference. Do, why do we need the show? Yes, it's a press conference. Let the press ask the questions. Don't toss it over to the to the folks who are going to be all nice to you. And then get to the good stuff. It's just crazy. me. All right. Uh, Jazz win over the Pelicans last uh, last evening, uh, 106 to 104. They play again against OKC tomorrow. Uh, what do you think of the overall atmosphere, Jake Scott? Gordon, it was great. What a fun game. What a fun game, number one. It wasn't perfect. Neither team played incredibly well. And I, I actually think that it's impressive the Jazz did not play well and still came away with a win. But what a great game. It was close. That last, uh, that last offensive play where Donovan dished to Rudy, an unselfish play from Donovan, and Rudy uh, stepping in the line and rewarding him by uh, stone cold knocking down those, those uh, free throws, no problem. And a big defensive possession by Royce. O'Neal on the other end against Brandon Ingram, who's remarkably bad in the clutch, but nonetheless, good defense by Royce. And uh, Gordon, it was great. I had a smile on my face ear to ear the whole time, man. Yeah, I did uh, not think the Jazz played particularly well, but I thought it was interesting that Rudy hits the first basket and then the free throws uh, at the end to uh, seal the deal. And uh, a rough shooting night from the perimeter for the Jazz and seeing that that's something the Jazz want to stress. Uh, what does that mean? Do you think it was just an off night or do you think they're going to have to find other ways? Uh, no, I think I think the Jazz are, are a good shooting team, even without Bogdanovich. And mm-hmm. that's they're not going to get away from that game plan, I don't think. However, they did dial it back in the second half. And I, I think that has had a lot to do with Jordan Clarkson, who said, all right, I'm, I'm, I can't throw it in the ocean from outside, but I'm going to go get some buckets and get it rolling. And that's exactly what he did, and I think the team yeah. followed suit a little bit. But Donovan Mitchell with some uh, key baskets down the stretch. Uh, it was uh, a Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, like you're talking about, a close ending. Um, Brandon Ingram misses a three for the win. Uh, and I don't know if that was the smartest shot in the world, but he has had his fair share of success against the Jazz. 
And so, yeah, the Jazz get a victory in the first game where things didn't go necessarily their way, but they're going to have to play better. I think that's fair to say. And they did luck out a little bit, Gordon, uh, that uh, they had Zion on a on a minutes restriction because I I don't know if any team is going to be able to guard Zion, but the Jazz were not equipped. He <laughs> in his short stint out there, he did whatever he wanted. What do you think of the Jazz taking the knee with the Pelicans, including the coaches? During the national anthem, uh, your uh, your observation there. If I, I'm fine with it. If they want to uh, communicate a message, um, I, I've got no problem with that. This is America. First did Amendment. Seem, did, did that seem disrespectful to anyone? It, 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 if so, why? I mean, it didn't seem disrespectful to me at all. It came across as being a bunch of people who have concerns that they can love their country and still see the need for big improvements. So, I mean, I, I'm fine with it. I uh, I would assume, you know, everybody on board with the team, that was a team decision. I hope there, if there were some dissenting views in the locker room, they were uh, they were listened to. I'm looking at a, a picture right now of uh, Magic forward Jonathan Isaac uh, not kneeling with his team. And I, I hope, uh, you know, he's not, well, uh, what, uh, overly persecuted for his opinion but uh, i am fine with it and the nba has decided to give them uh, a platform to be heard and not push back against against it and i'm fine with that too i'm glad you pointed that out because people should be able to do whatever it is that they feel they they should or need to do uh whether they kneel whether they stand whatever but uh, don't freak out no matter no matter what uh in my opinion all right, after the uh, Jazz win, the Lakers uh, beat the Clips in the second game. And uh, Jake LeBron, he's still pretty good. You know, he misses a shot at the end, gets his own rebound, scores. And then what does he do? He turns around and plays tough defense. Oh, against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in order to prevent the Clips from, from scoring and winning. Love him or not, LeBron is still a king on the court, man. The guy is really, really good. Oh, and that Anthony Davis, he ain't too bad either. No, LeBron's he's awesome. There's no doubt about it. I may find him obnoxious at times, but... There's no doubt that he's a great basketball player, and the Lakers are, are really, really good, and there's there's a reason they're a lot of people's favorites. I expect a little bit more out of the Clippers, but the Clippers are so disjointed. Who knows if they'll ever get it together? Not ever get it together, but, I mean, get it together to be the best team in the league? I don't know. So yeah. it, it was it was fun. It was a great night of basketball. It, it really was. Uh, do you want some scores? Because we actually have scores games in progress, Gordon. Yeah. Uh, the Magic uh, are smoking the Nets, 120 to 93. I'm shocked. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if the Nets are going to win a game in this thing. Mm. Uh, the Blazers are on top of the Grizzlies, 35 to 30. Of course, that has some uh, playoff implications in that one. And then another kind of snoozer, the Suns and the Wizards, 42 to 35, the Suns uh, leading right now in the second quarter. So there's a few scores. Great to have the uh, the NBA back. Um, Gordon, we'll continue on with your list coming up next. Uh, don't forget Mark Harlan, uh, media availability at 3, Howard Beck at 4. It's Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Somebody's going to hurt someone. 
Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay tuned. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan is going to have a press availability at 3. We're going to carry that for you as Utah's football schedule was announced today, the Pac-12 football schedule. Want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. But, Gordon, let's uh, let's cross another couple items off the list, shall we? All right. As far as the, the press conference from the Pac-12 that we heard earlier, really the, the most important parts of what we, the part of it that we heard was is that the Utes, that schedule that they face, uh, the early part of it, even though they have some road games, is the is the easiest part and, and it is the most advantageous for them to get victories. And then down the stretch, uh, even though they have some home games there, they play four of their last five games are against really good teams and maybe all five of them. I was going to say the fifth so, one's not going to yeah. be bad. Yeah, so uh, we'll talk with Mark Harlan about that uh, coming up. But uh, did you see the story? And this one struck home with me a little bit. This is a little bit personal for me. But former uh, New York Giants coach and Jaguars head of everything. (laughs) I did see this. Tom Coughlin had a bike wreck uh, recently that uh, really I can relate to. He broke some ribs, busted up his head, he punctured a lung, spent a night in the hospital. But, I mean, this sounds so identical. <laughs> it's, I, Austin and I thought the same thing when we saw it. We thought, God, Gordon, this is, this is what happened. <laughs> they, they told him the doctors are expecting him to take four to six weeks to recover. And uh, just be careful out there, those of you who are riding bikes. Uh, I had a mishap uh, uh, two weeks ago last night and it was pretty rough and uh, I'm I'm two weeks into it and I'm still feeling quite a bit of pain I don't say that for any pity I'm just if if it's going to take four to six weeks then I guess you're going to have to put up with me being a big baby for a little while longer no you you we've talked about it on the show you 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 put uh, yourself through something there uh, no yeah. no baby comments from me uh, I'm just saying though you know uh, Take advantage of the the tender, loving care you're getting from your family. Enjoy the attention. Yeah, I'm getting so much tender, loving care from my family that I'm the only one home and everybody else is out boating. (laughs) Well, hey, you get a little Gordon time. That's all right. (laughs) So here I am. Everybody, whatever you do, whatever your outdoor activities are, because everyone's looking for something to do to keep themselves uh, kind of together, uh, be careful. Be careful out there. All right, more baseball teams have uh, games postponed. Uh, it's tough playing sports in the middle of a pandemic, isn't it? It's affected uh, how many, six or eight teams now, and uh, 15 total games have been pushed back. wonder if uh, Major League Baseball will have to go to some uh, sort of tournament in order to figure out who's going to be champions. Well, they made the mistake in the first place of not building in flexibility to their plan, and they're they're learning that lesson really the hard way, Gordon. And their their solution now, and we'll see if it works, is just to to play doubleheaders. You know, if you've got to play doubleheaders, then that's what you're going to do. They're going to do seven inning games if you have to go with a doubleheader, and they're going to play as many as they have to play. So we'll we'll see if that strategy works. But uh, I mean, the the idea in this situation that you could pull it off playing 60 games in 64 days. I mean, it just it just probably wasn't likely from the onset. So if, if I'm college football or the Pac-12 or whomever, I'm, I'm paying attention to that aspect. I think flexibility is going to be 
going to be valuable uh, to pull something off, and that's something that Major League uh, Baseball kind of underplanned for, in my opinion. Yeah, MLB is going to have to learn its lessons as it goes here, but I'm not. I'm not sure how much they're learning. I, I, I don't know. Maybe but they. They're, they're it's like you the, said. They've sort of forced themselves into certain circumstances. Yeah. Well, they're sending the COVID uh, narc to the to every team, so maybe that'll work. All right. Well, so far in the NFL, about 30 players have opted out of the 2020 season so far, and that number is bound to go higher. The players' union negotiated $150,000 for voluntary opt-outs and 350000 for players with physical reasons to miss. And, um, it, 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 you know, as I was thinking about this this morning, I started to think about what about the coaches? A bunch of coaches in the NFL are over 60, and there are six who are head coaches, 60-plus. They don't get the same negotiated money that the players get because they're not part of uh, an association. So uh, let me ask it this way. What would you do, Jake, if you were 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 65 years old and you're the head coach of an NFL team? Would you think about it? And let's say you had a, a family member who was particularly vulnerable. I was just reading about this. Is it Bill O'Brien? Yeah, I think Bill O'Brien has has a son or something. Uh, what would you do? Um, I don't know, Gordon, because it's it. I do believe that these decisions are are very much personal. Yeah. In fact, can't we all relate to that a little bit with how we have handled this entire pandemic? Is you you know you're just doing what's best for you and your loved ones. I think a lot of people kind of have that mindset. So. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can answer that question, Gordon. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I think if you if you can play these sports and, and do it safely, I think it's really important to do so for a lot of reasons that uh, that we've talked about. And I know a lot of coaches, uh, you know, certainly take their uh, role in that process very very seriously. But at the same time, we're all looking out for ourselves and our loved ones. And who who can blame somebody for doing that? So I know that's a really weak answer to your question, but I don't know if I could do better. All right. Uh, Real quick, let me just fit this in since we were talking some football. Forbes released its annual list of the most valuable sports franchises. I think we might have mentioned it the other day. But number one is the Dallas Cowboys at $5.5 billion. They are number one in the world for the fifth straight year. And 27 of the top 50 teams are NFL clubs. The Yankees are second at $5 billion. And what do you think is the least valuable NFL team? Ooh, good question. Our, our, lady, our, our lady who had passed away the other day who was hating on a certain quarterback would find some pleasure in this. The, oh, uh, really? Well, it's not the Patriots. No. The Bills? The Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh, okay. I see. I see where you're going. She was hating on Tom Brady. Not a surprise. The, the, That's a smaller market, right? Yeah, and the bucks are only worth two point two billion. So I mean, is that all? Yeah, that's all. So, but anyway, I always saw. I always find that interesting that the Cowboys are so freaking valuable. How did they get so valuable? What they, I mean, what have they done that would you would? The, the Patriots are like four point one billion. But what have the Cowboys done? Brandy that, Gordon, you know, for five straight years, the number one valued club in the world. Branding. They're America's team. Why? Why? You know, how did they get that moniker? 
I mean, they've just, you know, love them or hate them. Jerry Jones has taken that franchise, which was already a pretty, you know, historic standard-bearing franchise that was kind of in the wind a little bit, and he's just built it to, I mean, unbelievable heights, obviously. Some of it might be that that pristine palace they play in down there. That's a big part of it, too, and he owns Mm -hmm. that building. So, you know, good to be be Jarrah, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> right? All right, coming up next, we'll get to the Mark Harlan press conference. Stay tuned. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.